Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. All right, we're six days away. The countdown continues. Six days away to the midterm elections. And uh, we see uh, some interesting dynamics occurring in races that you wouldn't have thought would have been particularly competitive coming into the cycle and turn out to be quite competitive, certainly too competitive for the likes of Democrats. I'm talking about yeah, some Senate races, but I think most of those were pro- that are in play were projected to be pretty competitive. There may be a couple of exceptions, like uh, uh, Patty Murray in Washington State, who's got a competitive race with Tiffany Smiley for the first time in more than two decades. Uh, but I'm talking about governor's races more particularly because they're indicative, perhaps more so, of how Democrats have lost the capacity to confront reality particularly when it comes to personal safety, but also when it comes to economic security, but particularly in a race like the New York governor's race when it comes to personal safety. So right now, uh, Kathy Hochul, the Democrat governor, is seemingly, I don't want to say on the ropes, that might be overstating it, but she's certainly in trouble and she knows she's in trouble. You know how you know? Because she's hiding in her safe space on MSNBC making statements like this. And in the final home stretch here, I'm a street fighter. I say bring it on. I love being underestimated. Every one of my 14 elections, I'm usually on underestimated. And uh, this is when the rubber meets the road. And when Democrats get out and vote, we win. It's that simple. Did you just say this is where the rubber meets the road? How old is she? She's a street fighter. She's a street, yeah. She's yeah. underestimated. When de- yeah, when Democrats come out and vote that you, you win in New York, well, right, because that's sort of the point. You're not an underdog. I love the left's posture, mm-hmm. and I've mentioned this about Illinois, too. You're the man, but since you're supposedly representatives of the downtrodden and you're under assault from the vast right-wing conspiracy, you have to pretend like you're not in control of every cultural and civic institution, like you don't have a massive structural advantage when it comes to party self-selection that uh, is the case in both New York and Illinois. But I'm the under, I'm under, I'm besieged. I'm the victim, so vote for me. What's happening is people in your party are leaving you or losing interest in participating in the election. This is why the... Zeldin has closed on Hochul, uh, so much so that at least, as I mentioned yesterday, a Trafalgar poll has Zeldin now up by less than a percentage point, which, of course, is 
very much in the margin of error. So let's call it a dead heat. Yeah, it's 48.4 de- to 47.6. But it's a dead heat in a state that hasn't had a Republican statewide office holder since when noted Judge Ito impersonator Alphonse D'Amato left the Senate. <laughs> That's right. You haven't had a Republican governor since George Pataki wow. two decades ago, more than two decades ago, 25 years ago. And so it's the same thing in Illinois. I, I mentioned here, it's like, oh, uh, under these Republic under the, what? <laughs> I mean, the generic ballot in both of these states, plus seven, plus eight, you, you, you know the electoral history of Illinois. People know here. We haven't carried this state for a Republican nominee for president since George Herbert Walker Bush in 88. You had the, the sort of Rauner interregnum, but that was representative of a bit of a hiccup, not a course correction, as we've seen. So, And I just love in New Mexico, the Republican challenger, Mark Ronchetti, He's just down two points to that ghastly Michelle Grissom who locked down her state pretty much as long as we locked down Illinois. When all the states around her were open, she was, I mean, disgusting what she did to the children there in New Mexico. And what is the, the what, and again, just to use New York as an example, then we can turn to Illinois, but it's, it's probably about as close a parallel as we have. The mother of this 30-year-old woman we spoke about that is sort of framing the lawlessness in New York and their no-cash bail law, which is at the center of it. The mother of this 30-year-old woman from Buffalo who was murdered by her estranged husband told the New York Post that Kathy Hochul was just as responsible for the killing of her daughter as the man who pulled the trigger. Wow. Uh, the, The mom spoke about her daughter's execution-style death just a, a couple of a few weeks ago now uh, when her estranged husband was released from jail less than 24 hours after being pulled in because he beat his, uh, his estranged wife. He, he beat her in an on-camera attack. Then he's turned out because no cash bail, and then he murders her. She should be charged for the crime. She's also responsible for the crime. That's what mom said from her home in Buffalo to the New York Post. And uh, we've had crime victims' families speak out, crime victims and their families, for that matter, speak out in Chicago. But I don't know that they've attached. I mean, you know, I remember. I mean, they they haven't really. They 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 haven't. For Kim Fox, they would like repeal Kim Fox, and Kim Fox did this to my loved one. And there was a smattering of. Parents who lost their children who had pictures of their kids saying, you know, we need to stop this. But nothing's been attached to Governor Pritzker, which it yeah. should be. A Lightfoot and Fox, but not Pritzker. I think that's generally right. And I think that's starting to change as there's an appreciation for not only what his purge law would mean, but the lies he's telling in sort of defense of it to try and muddle through and get to the other side of November 8th, which is all he's doing. And the chorus of silliness that you're hearing as people who consider themselves very serious but prove themselves otherwise are repeating these ridiculous talking points you're hearing. Uh, Oh, these people won't get out. Oh, this is about nonviolent offenders. Oh, this is on prosecutors if they do get out. And so on and so forth. Jim Glasgow, again, calling the Pritzker Purge Law 
the most lenient criminal law in the country. And you see what's happening in New York. Can it happen in Illinois? Well, let me give you a number to think about. And I'm sure some of those listening know people who fit this description. The number is 318,000. 318,000. Okay. There are 318,000 people in Illinois who voted for Trump in 2016, who voted for Trump in 2020, who did not vote in the 2018 midterms. Hmm. So if those who were disaffected and disgusted and withdrawn from politics at the state level don't participate, well, then Pritzker and the Democrats likely hold serve. If they do participate, 318,000, not all of them, but a, a significant percentage of those, if they participate and they come to the table with enthusiasm the way they did in 16 and 20 for Trump, even though, of course, that wasn't going to be enough to carry the state, but... But if they participate in this race, in this election cycle, with a lot of constituent partners normally associated with the Democrats are not too enthused about their incumbent, then you could spring an upset. You could spring an upset that no one is talking about in America the way they're talking about uh, some of these key Senate races or a couple of these governor's races that have closed like Tudor Dixon in Michigan or uh, Lee Zeldin in New York, 318,000 Trump voters who were uh, motivated enough to rail against the ruling class and vote for Trump in 16 and 20 at the federal level. Well, if those individuals do that at the state level on November 8th, then you have the same revolt against the political class in Illinois that you had nationally in 2016. 318,000. If you know somebody who fits that description, please go have a word with them. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. There's only one radio show in Chicago talking about today's biggest stories and telling you what they really mean. That show is this one. Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So, I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. The answer. Don't miss Freedom Summit Chicago on November 5th. Get your tickets today before they sell out. Go to freedomsummitchicago.com. Good morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, I want to talk Musk and Twitter and get to this uh, intercept expose on the deep state and the efforts to manipulate content on social media. 
really uh, good piece from the intercept. Uh, but first, uh, let's get a report from uh, one of our men on the street. Uh, that would be Ziff in Hyde Park. Ziff, what's going on? Well, Amy, good morning, and Dan, good morning to both of you. Hi, Ziff. I and, miss you. Well, Amy, I'm, I've been in the field, and, 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 and I've been, oh, Amy, here's something for Dan. Amy, let's put all the dance commercials together, and let's have a clip for the next Jason uh, with all of his commercials. A clip for the next Everybody. Jason? Yeah, with all of your commercials. Next together, to Friday the 13th? Or are they minutes. that, they're that, they're, they're that uh, uh, you know, frightening? Macabre? He okay. called it, Dan. He called it, Amy. You didn't. Right. Now, Amy, we got to get you a little bit more involved. I've been watching you. But here, you, you guys had a promotional table out last the other night when uh, the uh, young lady from uh, Hawaii came in. So I walked together. over to the table. Okay. I walked over to the, uh, the table. First, we saw the band outside. I said, wow, both of them is here. I got inside. I went over to the table. Got me a free T-shirt. I'm wearing that T-shirt, Victory Night. And then Amy, when I live you in that band, Vic. I decided to walk up and knock on the door. But on victory night, I'm wearing that T-shirt. And Amy, when they get ready to say we're the winners, I'm gonna grab you, uh-huh. and I'm gonna we're gonna go up on the stage, and we're gonna be in the background together. But no, seriously, when I saw those, <laughs> they got some flyers out. They got some put some uh, yard signs out that says Bailey endorsed by Trump. I jumped up in the air like Gene Kelly. I say, these are our signs, the ex-convict signs. And Donald Trump told all ex-convicts in Illinois to vote for Bailey. When I saw those, I said, oh, thank you, God. Look here, we got our own signs. They they are so dumb. They are so dumb thinking that people hate Donald Trump. They don't know that was an endorsement. Guys, I am so excited about this as we go down the stretch. And then that newspaper that you got out with Beverly Miles. And the, uh, there's a news set. It's called West Cook News. I say, wow. <laughs> I laughed at just the name of it. <laughs> Listen, we're down the stretch, guys. Amy, we're going to cover your area over there on Ashton. You'll start seeing some signs and stuff. Well, I hope so, because there's the 49 year. Pritzker signs between Addison and Irving Park on Ashland, And I, I want to take them down, but I know that that's illegal. Don't so worry. Nobody touch the campaign signs. Over. Keep your eyes open the next couple of days. So you have to go late because they get up early in the morning to take our stuff down. So we oh. wait till the streets of sanitation go by first. Watch your expressway when you go on. Just keep your okay. eyes open. Oh, Thank okay. You Thanks for it. the call, Ziff. No, nobody enjoys a good election season like Ziff from Hyde Park. No. There's no question about and Dan, that. Dan, your tweet yesterday was hysterical. Can you tell people about it? Which, which About tweet? the Baton Club. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> Governor Spaulding was at the Baton Club, and he, <sighs> he tweeted out that he was there. What did he tweet out? He said uh, something like, oh, yeah, well, we're at the Baton Show Lounge getting out the vote and defending the right of every LGBTQ plus Illinoisan to live as their authentic self with a picture of him on stage. And I just said, that has to be the worst looking drag queen ever to take the stage at the Baton Club. They still, call it, they still call it the... Yeah, it's the Baton Club. He says the Baton Show Lounge. Did they rename it? Or? I don't know. That's oh. a club to me. It's yeah, been around okay. for decades. And it's basically, in case you don't know people, it's a, it's a drag queen show. Yeah. You know, before they started reading to our kids and playing bingo with our children that's right uh speaking of tweets this was a fun one i I mean is there anybody honestly i I hate to bring him back and provide any additional notoriety but uh david hogg 
you know, oh, this yeah, uh High yeah, gun control lunatic gun banner gun control. Well, he rose to prominence after the shooting. He came out and was very vocal and He's very shrill and very ignorant and he be he was he's like our Greta Thunberg. She is he is to banning guns what she is to banning the combustion engine. Uh, David Hogg, uh, this reaction that Elon Musk generated from, I guess, initially suggesting that he was going to charge the blue check mafia on Twitter. These are the people with the blue checks next to their name that have been verified. It's supposedly like seen as like a sign of, oh, this is an important person. But you don't have to be an important person, and many of them are not, even the quote-unquote important people. But you don't have to be like some person with like high public status to get a blue check. It's like a verification thing. I don't even know because I don't care. So, and I haven't gone. But, but the the um, he's going to charge the the verification those who have been verified. I guess it's some sort of premium service. Uh, Twenty bucks a month. That's what they said. That's what they. Well, that was the suggestion. It was going to be twenty bucks a month. Yeah. And then Stephen King said, "If I'm charged twenty bucks a month, I'm leaving Twitter." Oh come. On. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fine. Bye. Bye. See you later. I mean, yeah. I mean, I'll do. You know, hey, look, I, I'll stay on Twitter. But if you charge me two hundred fifty bucks a year, I'm leaving. Stephen King. <laughs> okay, David Hogg. That's sort of funny. What Stephen King's yeah. reaction that he just told the world that you know he keeps all his money in a change purse. Okay, fine. <laughs> David Hogg. Verified people are a major reason why many people are on Twitter in the first place. If anything, they should be paying us. Verified accounts bring people to Twitter and help with ad revenue. I mean, they're just they're just such self-important, pretentious d-bags like these guys. This is exactly why I, I don't know what Musk is going to do with Twitter, and I don't think he's the savior of free speech. I think people are projecting a little bit too much onto him and uh, creating expectations that are not going to be met. But just the reaction that he's generated. From the verified people. I love that term, the verified people. As a, I mean, I know what he's saying, you know, as opposed to the bots and the people that are not using a real name and so on and so forth. Oh, the, but, you know, we're all here to so that we can bask in the wisdom of David Hogg and Hollywood celebrities and so forth. Stephen King. Ridiculous. But um, what he has done, Musk, in terms of the response, it's sort of Trumpian. He has... a. a provided the avenue for the left to show the world who they are from the beginning of this gambit to buy Twitter effectively to and take it private to now being the CEO, the chief twit, as he calls himself, and actually starting to affect what he said. It's just the the reactions are great. I know. And there's a list of celebrities that are, you know, Elon Musk has already scared off Twitter. And I don't even know if you consider them celebrities. Tia Leone. Yeah. Tony Braxton, oh no, please don't leave Twitter. Mm. Um, but they're just leaving because he's Unbreak really... my heart, Tony Braxton. <laughs> they're worried about the platform and what it's going to become with more free speech. But I want Emma Woodhouse back on Twitter. There's a list of people that I would love to see. I want President Trump back on. You know, I just think everybody that's been banned for COVID and misinformation about COVID, everyone in that category, they should all be allowed back on Twitter. That's that's one thing that's indisputable that Elon Musk should have already done the day that he walked into that building with a sink is he should have let those people because there's hundreds on that list. And Emma Woodhouse is one of them. 
the 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 reactions just talking about the reactions just give you a sense of it it's not just the i'm leaving you know it's the alec baldwin if george hw bush is elected cia assassin i'm leaving the country everybody's always leaving the country if the elections don't turn out the way they want so annoying um but this dean obadiah who is a contributor to msnbc as a lawyer, I'm going to do research to see if Elon Musk in any way lied on his application for U.S. citizenship. I'll be making a FOIA request for his immigration application. If he lied anywhere on his application, we will move to strip him of U.S. citizenship. <laughs> well, um, okay, go ahead. Have have fun, Dean. But even if you do, that doesn't change his ability to own Twitter, just FYI. You don't have to be uh, an American citizen to own a social media company that's located in America but okay that, or that has a presence a footprint in America but okay but this is this is the reaction you're getting from these completely unhinged people but that's redundant when you're talking about the left uh, more serious note yes this story that came out in the intercept that I just mentioned this is this is a bigger deal um, and it's uh, the work product uh, in part of a series of documents that Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt, who's poised to be the next Republican senator from uh, Missouri to replace Roy Blunt, who's retiring. Um, this is a lawsuit that he filed um, a- against the big tech companies. And what he finds is uh, a pressure campaign by the Department of Homeland Security to try and shape online discourse. Frequent meetings and coordination with top tech and finance executives, even a formalized process for government officials to directly flag content on Facebook or Instagram and request that it be throttled or suppressed through a special Facebook portal that requires government or law enforcement email to use. If um, uh, then so the question is, oh, well, you know, okay, well, um, yeah, right. So who uh, informs on the. On the 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 vanguard uh, over misinformation. Well, I guess that's the Intercept and this Missouri Attorney General. Thankfully, uh, what might DHS consider inaccurate information worthy of suppression? A whole host of topics, including the origins of the COVID nineteen pandemic and the efficacy of the COVID nineteen vaccines, racial justice, U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan, and the nature of U.S. support for Ukraine. It can be whatever the DHS and federal agencies say it is, misinformation. And, you know, this is something where they're in communication surreptitiously with big tech companies. And so they're, as I just described, as per the Intercept's reporting, they're interceding, working with those private entities to stifle expression online for the purposes of shaping the content of conversation and thus the understanding of the public about the issues of the day. Um, That's a big deal. And to the extent that Elon Musk, as the CEO of Twitter, as the chief twit, to the extent that he will not participate in overtures made by the surveillance state to big tech, that would be enough for me. Yeah, you re- we can obsess about uh, 
letting Trump back on and other people we'd like to see on and, you know, improving the quality of discourse and so on and so forth. I'm sure Musk is going to make his own determinations on, on, uh, I mean, you know, sort of intervene and make his own determinations. He's putting together, a, you know, essentially a content advisory board like the previous leadership had. So we'll see how that plays out. But the, 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 and, and that's a big thing, but it's still a private platform. To me, the much more concerning thing is when the owners of a private platform throw in with the surveillance state, federal law enforcement agencies, to surveil and mute ordinary American citizens. That's the big deal. And that's being under-discussed right now, despite this intercept expose, which is very good. So I'm going to make sure we get that. Oh, and by the way, Elon Musk is also being, you know, excoriated for um, posting a quote-unquote conspiracy theory about um, Pelosi, Paul Pelosi, you know, right? Hammerman. Yeah, some of the some of the I same questions, some of the same questions that we've asked. And point of fact, um, some of the questions that we've asked come directly, and others come directly from reporting by these DC press corps outlets in the initial. Uh, wave of reporting on what had allegedly transpired you know and some got it wrong there were reports that each man had a hammer then we find out at least according to the department of justice if you believe the official line that no they both had their hands on the the single hammer and that's not a metaphor uh but but i mean you're you're basing the questions you're raising off the reporting of these outlets and then they turn around and call you a conspiracy theorist for asking questions based on the information they provided. Uh, so this is what you're dealing with. And then the left was mad that it wasn't on the front page of the New York Times. Instead, there was that horrible stampede was on. But it wasn't on the front page because they didn't want it to be on the front page because the Democratic Party controls the media. Because I mm-hmm. think that there's something else there. I mean, another neighbor came forward and said there's always... Black SUVs, white vans, always in front of that house, regardless if Pelosi's there or not. Comedian Rob Schneider uh, tweeting out, I just heard over 50 former intelligence officers signed a letter saying the Pelosi gay hammer attack rumors have all the hallmarks of a Russian gay hammer attack disinformation campaign. (laughs) Nicely done. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. Before you see it on TV, share it on Facebook or read about it in the paper. Hear it here first. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. The Answer. Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. I love these guys. Not only do they have expansive industry experience, a strong financial track record, but they're also highly capitalized for strategic growth. That's so important. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. They know what it means to grow a business by designing solutions that are right for you and only you. These are real people. They're ready to help. So reach out to my friends at Signature Bank. Make the call today, 773-467-5630, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, SignatureBank.Bank. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. Signature Bank. 
This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. The uh, pack that I run uh, launched this uh, 60-second radio ad yesterday. You'll see a 30-second TV version up today, so look for that. It's the story of Sergeant David, uh, Sergeant James Severin, excuse me, and his partner Anthony Rosado, as told in part by the niece of James Severin, Jean Cable. Sergeant in the Chicago Police Department, and he loved being a Chicago police officer. He was with a patrol officer, Anthony Rosado, and on the evening of July 17, 1970, they were assassinated. Gene Cable is still incensed more than a year after the Illinois Prisoner Review Board released convicted cop killer Johnny Veal for the 1970 Cabrini-Green sniper killing of her uncle, Police Sergeant James Severin. I never thought I'd see the day where convicted cop killers would be released on the streets and people would be okay with it. For decades, Jean and her family had the support of governors and prosecutors, Democrats and Republicans, to keep her uncle's killer behind bars. Until J.B. Pritzker. We did not get any letters whatsoever from Governor Pritzker opposing parole. When you kill a police officer, it's an unforgivable crime. My message to the governor would be shame on you. Punish J.B. Pritzker for releasing a cop killer. Paid for by people who play by the rules pack. And we're now pleased to be joined by Sergeant James Severin's niece, Jean Cable. Jean, thanks for being with us. Appreciate it. Oh, thank you for asking me. Thank you, Dan and Amy. It's a it's a tough story to tell in 30 seconds or 60 seconds, which is why we wanted to have you on to provide the, the nuance and the texture that you just can't provide in that amount of time for a story that spans five decades. So, I mean, why don't you just sort of tell us what happened, you know, the Reader's Digest version, of course, but tell us what happened. Uh, we, we know generally what happened, but, but more color on what happened and what kind of guy your uncle was. And then the, the journey you and your family and the Rosado family have been on for the, the – were on for the following five decades. We're still on. Yeah, so my uncle, um, Jim Severin, was a sergeant with the Chicago Police Department, and they were put on a pretty difficult task. It was called the Walk and Talk Program, and this was done probably in one of the most dangerous times besides the Roaring Twenties for cops in the city of Chicago. And it really, they really wanted, the Chicago Police Department really wanted the cops out of the car. I mean, there were cops, I think, back in that time, we were losing 8 to 12 cops a year for, for being murdered. So to get to these volunteer cops to get out of the car and walk among the people of Cabrini-Green was a pretty dangerous job to do. Cabrini-Green at the time was probably labeled as one of the most dangerous housing projects in, in the entire nation. And there was a lot of focus on it. And I think the city of Chicago really wanted to make a difference. My uncle, with a contingency of patrolmen, uh, did that. They got out of the car. They walked among the people. They And, you know, it was funny. My uncle used to come to the house, and he loved his job. His first calling was to be a priest. So you can kind of tell what his nature was. He was very soft-spoken. And his devotion was 
Cabrini Green. He never married. He never had children. And that situation blew up the evening of July 17th, 1970. And I was just a little girl. I was 14 at the time. And that was the night that two officers, my uncle and Anthony Rosado, were murdered, assassinated, walking across a baseball field. This is not a crime where they were engaged in gun warfare with any of the gangs that were there. This was a true assassination. Two officers walking across the field at the end or the beginning of a baseball game. I think it was early afternoon, which was a pact between two gangs. They not only murdered them on the field, but they wouldn't allow their bodies to be retrieved from the field. And I'll tell you, as a 14-year-old girl, we were home. My parents, my parents were out, and they started to show all of these helicopters over the bodies of two officers. Now, this went nationwide. This was not, this was not a small crime. This went nationwide. It was written up in Time magazine. It was written up in Life magazine. This was shocking to people because these two guys kind of took a big gulp, stepped out of their patrol cars, and if you ever remember what Cabrini Green looked like, these were multiple high-rises with multiple opportunities for someone to be injured or shot. When you say so, that, that what, what, and just, just to backtrack, when you say that sure. they wouldn't allow their bodies to be retrieved because they were it, it was sniper fire, they were shooting from the building down at the officers, and so it was unsafe for any other officers to run into the field to get them because they could get hit by that same sniper fire. Yeah, that's accurate, but it wasn't just coming from the high-rises. It was also coming from the, the the ones that were one or two stories on one side of the baseball field, and I think those okay. those structures are still there. Okay. So it took some uh, one gutsy cop um, to actually jump into a squad car, and they pulled their bodies into the car and went over to a now-defunct hospital in Roten Hospital where they were both declared dead. And the people that did this, Johnny Veal and Joseph Hurst, I don't even want to say their names, how were they subsequently arrested? Did it take a while or just walk us through that? Okay, so one correction. So it was Johnny Veal, Clifford Knights, and then there were two others that were arrested. Okay. Now, I know there was a massive uh, manhunt for these assailants. I mean, there was the eyes of the nation were literally on the city of Chicago because of how horrific this these crimes were to not just kill one, but kill two, just to seal a pact between gang members. And I think from what I remember, it was pretty exhaustive, but eventually these witnesses started coming. They found physical evidence in a garbage chute. They found um, bullets with uh, Clifford Knight's fingerprints on it. They found the rifle and there was a lot of people that were talking. So, that you know, they kind of narrowed it down to these four guys. I know three were put up for trial. One was very much of a minor. And I don't think he was prosecuted. And the trial actually was probably one of the longest in the state of Illinois from what my dad had told me. He's been gone quite a while. But what was going on was they kept calling continuances and witnesses kept disappearing. Oh, so. Imagine. Yeah. Well, yeah, imagine. I mean, my dad attended almost every day of that trial, and it, 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 it took the life right out of him. 
he'd go down to criminal courts. Defense would call another continuance. Then he'd go, my dad would go to work. And it would, this was a continuation for quite a while. The shenanigans that went on, was, it was mind-boggling how they were mining the system even back then. And so ultimately, two individuals are convicted of these two murders, and they're sentenced to between 100 and 300 years, which is effectively, or at least in theory, a life sentence. So then take well, us, take us, take us, well, take us through that process of conviction, sentencing, and then what the family did over the many decades to ensure that they were not paroled. So there was a couple years there in the state of Illinois where they had what was called indeterminate sentencing. I think they got rid of it in maybe 72 or 73. So what indeterminate sentencing at least did for us, it said, hey, these guys murdered two police officers anywhere else in the country. They would get the death penalty or life without parole. But because Illinois had brought this indeterminate sentencing in, they were saying, well, no matter what the crime, you're going to have the possibility of parole. Now, the judge in that case was uh, uh, Lewis Wexler. And Lewis Wexler sentenced these guys to 100 to 300 years. And I think by doing that, these judges that had to sentence during this period of time of indeterminate sentencing were kind of sending a message forward to the multiple generations of state's attorneys and parole boards and governors and mayors that would continue to see Clifford Knights and Johnny Veal up, up for parole. And he wanted to send a very clear message that this was a heinous crime. It isn't just the, the murder of two police officers. This is, this is an affront to law itself. And, and he wanted these guys to stay in prison. So our parole started, I think these guys were sentenced in 1972. I think it was early 80s, possibly 1979, that we began and continued to do one of the longest parole oppositions that I've ever heard of. So, I mean, think about this. We have two inmates. That means we are we are going to two parole hearings a year to prepare for those parole hearings. We start collecting signatures because I'll tell you the Severin and Rosado families were not idle people. We didn't sit back and say, okay, we're going to let the judicial system protect us, take care of us, make sure these guys stay in prison. My dad was a driver. This was uncle, my um, Sergeant Severin's brother. My dad was adamant that this is a family thing that we do to keep these guys in prison to honor Uncle Jim. This was our way of honoring his duty to the city of Chicago and the people of Cabrini-Green. So we started collecting signatures. We would spend months collecting signatures all over the metropolitan area. If we knew anyone anywhere else, we would send them piles to get signatures to keep these guys in prison. Then we had to take days off. We had to pay for our own hotel and travel expenses. And at that time, the Department of Corrections in Illinois forced victims' families to go into the prison that each of these guys were at. And they were moved around a lot. But we spent a lot of time at Stateville. So we had to get to the prison. We had to be in the room 
with the family members of either Veal or Knight, and we weren't aware of who they were. I have to say that we stood out like a sore thumb, so everyone knew who we were. We were then taken into a room, body searched, not invasively, but as invasively as I've ever been, and then we had to walk through the wall, through the gates in Stateville, into a room where there was actually prisoners walking about, and I'm assuming these prisoners were, you know, low incident. So, but I can tell you, as a as a young woman, we dressed very masculine. We didn't wear makeup. I mean, we were put in a, in a, into a situation. We had multiple females, multiple young males. My dad. And this was a family effort. This is my cousins. This is my siblings. This is my mom and my dad and my aunts and uncles. This is a family thing that we did. Initially, it was actually too difficult for the Rosado family. So we went, the Severin family went for them. And it was a horrifying thing. We had, we, and luckily, I mean, thank God, Cook County always used to send a state's attorney, wonderful, wonderful, smart, sharp state's attorney that would guide us through this process. We would walk out after the parole hearing, and six months later, we would do it all again. And we are still doing it. I'm 66 years old, and I have a parole hearing May of next year for Clifford Knight. For the the other one. Uh, one, the other man convicted who has not been released yet. So okay. now let's get to the release of Johnny Veal. So uh, every six months for the four, well, the better part of five decades, and and what uh, you told me is every every time you went until recently. You had the support of the Cook County State's Attorney, whoever that was, Republican, Democrat. You had the support of the mayor of the city of Chicago, whoever that was, whatever Democrat that was. You had the support of the governor of the state of Illinois, whoever that was, Republican or Democrat. All those decades until this governor and this mayor and this state's attorney. Yeah, you know, when I look over our family history, you got to remember, we had interactions all the way back to Governor Ogilvy, up to Rauner, and you're talking about Democrats, Republicans, with a consensus that when you kill two police officers in cold blood, they should not be released. And we did, one of the things we did do to correct, we, we weren't really going every six months. We did that for probably 15 years, and okay. then we actually changed the law for all victims, the Severance and Kathleen Parker, um, uh, uh, Illinois senator. senator. Yeah, yeah. She she helped us write a law to actually help all victims increase what they call a setback between parole hearings for anyone up for parole. So we started getting instead of every you know it, like if you look at them separately, they were coming up every year. We started to get two year sets, three year sets four-year sets, and Clifford Knights, who's still in, was really consistently a five-year set. And with and with Johnny Veal, we were getting between two- and three-year sets. But, and so, but, I, but the, the point, dozens of dozens and dozens of parole hearings uh, for, between the two over that course of time, and always with the, the institutional support of the political uh, leadership and law enforcement leadership of the city, the county, and the state— until 
And, and the parole board, I should mention the parole board, never a single vote to no, we release. No, we were told, I was told confidentially one time when we were in Stateville that we had never, ever gotten a vote to release either Johnny Veal or Clifford Knight. It was just something that they were never going to allow. And then what happened? Governor Pritzker got elected. And, you know, I got I got to tell you, Dan, we went to a parole hearing. I, I actually, I mean, the, the parole process is pretty convoluted. You know, they... They were doing, you know, Zoom meetings during COVID, and you know, we would have to go to criminal courts or to the jails. I mean, it was, it was a very onerous process to do. But when Pritzker got in, I wanted more attention put on this because I was a little concerned about what he was going to do. So, you know, the parole board gets all together in um, Springfield. So I flew to Springfield to make sure I could witness this on what was going on, because we were a little bit concerned. Chicago Police Memorial Foundation with Bill Klein sends a busload of officers, which was actually a saving grace because it was kind of just me and my cousin. Um, Kim Fox refused to send a state's attorney for the first time, and I didn't know that until the night before. So the victim's advocate actually called me and said, you're going to have to be not only the victim, but you have to be the attorney now. And, and I'm a retired scientist. I'm not an attorney. And so we were kind of left with our butts hanging out with no support from anyone, no letters from Pritzker, no help from Lightfoot, no help from Fox, for the first time since we started paroles in the early 80s. It was the most jarring thing I've ever gone through in my life. So my cousin and I are sitting at a table in this big conference room. Next to us is the pro bono attorney for Johnny Veal, his entire family, dressed in their gang affiliation. And they actually, the, the parole board actually, the new, the new head of the parole board, um, Edith Krigler, actually started to debate with me about a pathology report about where the bullets were in my uncle's body. And there, we didn't have an attorney. I mean, we were literally left as police victims. We, we were victims being, being interrogated by the Illinois Parole Board and, and them telling us that we didn't know what we were talking about. So then they five, 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 decades after, five decades after they were in prison. Uh, the, the trial's over. The sentence has been imposed. What, what are we talking about? No, no. You don't understand. The Illinois Parole Board is now retrying their own cases. This is what they did to the Severn and Rosado family back in February of 2021. They retried the case in front of us. They said that those bullets, you should have heard it. It was absolute insanity. And I was sitting there thinking, what is going on? I have letters from every single governor back, back to Ogilvy to my father and to our family supporting keeping these guys in prison. And all of a sudden I'm sitting there with my cousin and they start the vote. And the and vote I'm was eight to, to four. So I look at my cousin and I said, we got four votes to release because you have to understand we've been doing this my entire life. Right. Normally the parole board starts to indicate that they're thinking of releasing someone. 
do you get one or two votes? We've actually assisted other police families to reverse that because you just need to put a little attention on them. So we get there, and I'm looking at my cousin, and I said, we got four votes? And he, I looked over, and he started crying, and he said, they're letting Johnny deal out. <sighs> and and I, I got to tell you guys, I sat there, and I felt like I failed him. I felt like I failed my uncle. I tried so hard, and without the support of the governor, without the support of all, Remember, the governor runs the Illinois Parole Board. Every person on that board is influenced by the governor at the time. Well, why would Governor Pritzker want these two thugs and murderers out on the streets? You know, my opinion, and it's not going to be popular, we're the collateral damage of George Floyd in many ways. People wanted blood. People wanted blood to what happened up in Minnesota. And you know who the blood is? the victims of police officers that have been killed in the line of duty. That's, that's the collateral damage. We're the collateral damage. And so and we're go... going to be, we're going to be collateral damage next May when I'm in Springfield and they, and they let Clifford Knights out. Unless there's a new governor and a new parole board. Mm-hmm. Um, that so... is going to be the only thing that's going to stop it. And, and, and um, so from zero votes all those years to eight votes to release uh, out of nowhere, and correct. And and so and how, I, I just wanted to get your reaction to this. I mean, it's interesting because a, a majority of people across the political spectrum support the death penalty. Majority of people support the death penalty for cop killers. But you're going to have some people say, well, Gene, he served 50 years. Isn't that enough? <laughs> you know, he's an old man now. He's not a, he's he presents no threat to anybody. So isn't that enough? 50 years. I'll tell you what I said. The only people that say that to me, and I have had people say that to me, are people that have never had a violent crime in their family. When you have a violent crime in your family, someone in your family is raped, someone in your family is murdered, or in our case, you have a police officer assassinated, they all want blood. Do you really think that the guy that broke into Pelosi's house, they're not going to want blood for that? for for a fractured skull. People don't understand that, especially in cases like that, when you go after public officials, you go after a police officer, you kill a police officer, they're the sheepdogs. They're the ones that are keeping us safe. When you go after them, what, what does that say about law? There are some crimes that are unforgivable and they need to, they need to die in prison. She you is, know, but, you know, this. I, I was going to ask you about this. I know Pritzker just signed another. What was, he signed another one where now he's releasing any elderly or infirm prisoner, no matter what their crime is. He wants to release them out into the public. It, it, it's, it's like the world's upside down now. She is Jean Cable, uh, the niece of Sergeant James Severin, who was one of the two officers, along with Anthony Rosado, that were assassinated in Cabrini-Green, as she uh, explained in detail. Jean, uh, thanks so much for sharing your story and coming forward. We uh, wish we had more time, but we do appreciate your time. Thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. And she joined us on our turnkey.proanswer line. 
This is Chicago's Morning Answer. Your show keeps me alive during the week. There's nobody I'd rather listen to between 5 and 9 in the morning than you guys. On AM 560, The Answer. Larry Elder, Brandon Tatum, Alex Berenson, and many more at Freedom Summit Chicago. Tickets available at freedomsummitchicago.com. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy, 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636DA, turnkey.pro text line. Uh, Taking your calls in reaction to our interview with Gene Cable and the story of the murder of her uncle, Chicago Police Sergeant James Severin and his partner Anthony Rosado, the assassination of the two of them in a park in Cabrini-Green some five decades ago. And again, just to frame this succinctly, cop killers. Cop killers that were sentenced to 100 to 300 years in prison that were, whose parole was opposed by every Cook County State's attorney, Every mayor of the city of Chicago, every governor of the state of Illinois from 1970 something all the way until this current crop of political leadership. The parole boards opposed not a single vote to parole them for from 70 something until this crop of political leaders in Chicago and Cook County and Illinois last year. Pritzker, Fox and Lightfoot. And they didn't even have the decency to send anybody from the Cook County State's Attorney's Office because they knew what was going to happen. They knew. Well, that's the that's the point. We're not supporting the family. We're supporting the parole of cop killers. Because criminals have more rights and more protection than victims do. Well, is Gene Cable right? Are there some some crimes that are unforgivable? Are there some crimes that are so heinous that the perpetrator should never see the light of day again? That's really the question. Three, after, one, two. Oh, after you've had these two cop killers serve 50 years in prison, she says, yes, what do you say? And particularly for police officers and first responders, tell me again about how you have to default to Pritzker and the political ruling class in the state. Because, you know, you're, you're a little little sketchy about trusting Republicans with your wildly unfund, underfunded and unfunded pension liabilities under these many decades of terrible political leadership, mostly under Democrats. Tell me again. And I want to get to that retired Cook County judge, uh, Daniel Locallo, who uh, explained how all these people saying under Pritzker's purge law, oh, you know, the judge can still do this and the judge can still do that. And he explains, actually, no, the judge cannot still do this and cannot still do that in terms of detaining people who have committed or alleged to have committed forcible felonies the way that you think it's just so simple. Oh, it's just like it always was. Well, if it's just like it always was, then why did they pass the purge law? You dopes who are saying that, repeating Jelly Belly's ridiculous talking points. Get a clue. Frank at the Board of Trade. Same parole board that released the three women who uh, uh, were killed at Starved Rock back in 1960. This I'm saying so this this is the same parole board that released the killer of three women in Starved. Say that again. 
Yeah, they were strangled by uh, some guy, the maintenance man down at Starved Rock back in 1960. He was just released last year. Thanks for the call, Frank. Well, let's empty the jails. Well, he did during COVID, remember? He released thousands of people, and seven of them were convicted murderers. Empty, yeah, but but now we're doing it permanently. Right. Empty the jails informally through the purge law and formally. Well, I mean, actually, the purge law isn't doing it formally through the parole board for convicted felons that are in jail and informally for people who haven't been convicted yet, uh, like all those violent alleged felons sitting in county jails awaiting trial. Uh, Okay. Who on earth would do this, asked James Glasgow. No one. No one would do this. Well, there's one person. J.B. Pritzker. And you can throw in Fox and Lightfoot with him. And Eric Reinhardt, who is, I mean, he is just lying to you folks. I'm not going to play the whole thing, but he, this is a flippin' lie. Darren Bailey's not telling you the truth. He's just trying to scare you. You deserve to know the facts about the Illinois Safety Act. There is no such thing as a purge law in Illinois. And he goes on to say, we're not going to let criminals out of prison on January 1st. Right. A hundred lies of his co- and lies. A hundred of his colleagues are conspiring. A hundred county state's attorneys of the 102 are conspiring against Eric Reinhardt and Kim Fox to lie to you. Is that is that what you think is happening? What planet do those people live on? Carl, Marionette Park. Oh, good morning, Dan. Thank you for taking my call. Good morning, Amy. Uh, this breaks my heart. I could hear the pain in Jean's, Jean's voice telling her story. And Pritzker people is nothing but a pathological liar. He does not care about anybody. He used this COVID, COVID scheme the way he did to say that he's trying to save people's lives. He is causing more people's life. The children I talked about last week being shot in front of their own homes or under homes or people being shot on the expressway. And uh, he's, he just he does not care, people. And we have a chance to put an end to this. Let's be his worst nightmare and bolt this thug out of office because that's what he is, a thug. And I want to tell you, people, I didn't get to finish what I wanted to say yesterday about uh, the Tribune article from October 10th of 2018. It doesn't stop with him defrauding the taxpayers about $333,000. There are more stories in that article. You can Google it, read it. It has audio, listen to it, and yeah. it'll show you what kind of thug he is. Thanks a lot, Dan and Amy, again, for everything you do. Everyone have a good day. Thanks for the call card. Talking about pulling his tilets out of his mansions yeah. to steal, to, to essentially defraud the taxpayers, property tax fraud. But it's not property tax fraud when he does it. Tina Joliet. Hi, good morning, guys. I, I, I just want to say, and this is one of the things I try to drive home to people all the time, you cannot separate the policy from the person. So when you are casting a vote for a Democrat, you are telling that elected official that you support all of these horrible policies that they are pushing on the community. You support the sexualization of children. You support the release of violent criminals into our communities. You support raising taxes every single year and wasting our money. You cannot separate the policy from the people you are voting for. You're giving them the authority to to do that. And for the first time in a long time, we have excellent 
Republican conservative candidates running in Illinois, and this is our opportunity. This is our opportunity to take back some control of this godforsaken state. If we don't do it now, I don't think we're going to have another opportunity like this. It's now or never. And I, 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 your last um, guest, was, that was heartbreaking. That was so hard to hear. And how this system has, and it's so, it was the perfect way to encapsulate what the Democrats have done to the innocent victims and to the citizens of Illinois who just want to go to work, raise their families, and live a happy, healthy life. They have abandoned us. But John Catanzaro with the FOP, he, that guy, he donated $50,000 to the Democrats in District 19. He, hasn't, he had an opportunity to help out a candidate who is pro-cop, who is working hard to protect children. Christine Shanahan McGovern has been out there every day screaming that we have to protect our, our, um, our public servants, these folks that go and face these criminals every single day. And this idiot can't derogate $50,000 to the Democrat and who has a million dollars in his bank account. He could have done it, even if he was too cowardly to support the Republican candidate. He could have just sat this one out, but he didn't. So shame on the FOP. They're just as guilty as the idiot voters who put these morons in office. Thanks, Tina. Mike Union. Oh, come on, Dan. You got this all wrong. Isn't this election about abortion? Is that what they want you to believe? Mm-hmm. It's a state of murder. So they're, they're fine with killing babies and they're fine with killing cops and everything else. Uh, but that's, that's where the idiots are. They would rather have their abortion rights than the rights of any other individual above all things. It's disgusting. I hope they're, uh, they're happy. Thanks for the call, Mike. Yeah, it's interesting, too, since everybody agrees with them about uh, the Dobbs decision and about abortion on demand all nine months, taxpayer-funded, then how is it that the Democrats are going to lose the House and probably the Senate? I don't get it. Everybody agrees with them. That's what this is a referendum on, and they're the supermajority, they would have you believe. So how could that be? How is it going to how are they going to explain it? This is the abortion election. This is the Dobbs decision overturning a Roe v. Wade. That's the issue. So when they lose the House and they lose the Senate, then what's the explanation? Maybe not a majority is with them. Maybe that's not what this election is about. And of course, for all of the efforts of the the dumb pro-abort, dumb socialist com shop, that's exactly what's going to happen. And People have already indicated that that is not what this election is about. We'll see. We'll see. And and again, because if it is, not only should they hold, they should gain. You know, since 1934, the average loss for the party out of power, I mean, excuse me, for the party in power, the average gain for the party in power. Sorry, let me say that again. The average uh, loss for the party in power, the average gain for the party out of power in midterms, 28 House seats, four Senate seats. But in three of those elections, the party in power gained House seats. In six of those midterm elections since 1934, the party in power has gained six times. The, the, the party in power has gained Senate seats six times. So three times they've gained six in the House, three, six times since 34 they've gained in the Senate. How are they going to explain it if they not only don't gain, but they lose 
at least the average loss, if not worse, and it's going to be worse in the House, I'll tell you that right now, and it may be worse in the Senate. Maybe what they're saying about abortion isn't true. John Wakanda. Yeah, uh, Dan and Amy, thanks for taking my call. Dan, I called a little while, uh, a few months ago, asking when uh, Cass was on, asking whether it was going to be a clean sweep of both parties in the House, and looks like it might be. But getting to the point of the um, of this uh, parole board hearing, back when I was a kid, and I'm 66, it was the media is partly at fault with this because the media, instead of saying reinforcing to younger people that this is a heinous crime and that's why it's not being uh, excused. They're trumpeting it. And then we have crickets from uh, from the legislature. Thanks for the call, John. Nick, Northwest Side. Yeah, thank you for taking my call. You have a great show. You guys know what's going on here. Uh, back in the early 70s, uh, 72, I just came back from living in Germany for a year and a half, and I was not aware of this because I say this because I – I hung out at one place, then it was called the near north side, now it's called the River North area, but uh, cops used to like to stop in to see this one guy there who knew a lot of people around the area politically, just low level, but enough. And uh, this one cop's telling me about he uh, works on Cabrini Green and uh, on a walk and talk detail, so I guess it was still in effect. And I said, what, what do you mean walk and talk? Uh, I said, well, we, uh, we walk around, me and my partner, and we have the radio. We keep in touch frequently about what's going on. And uh, I said, well, uh, uh, is that kind of dangerous? Somebody could just jump out and shoot you. Then uh, the crime was not as big as it is now. Certain areas, yes, like the Greeny Green, but not overall. So I think the, the people who are in charge are the people who have the guns, uh, like here, the police department. The, the, those are the politicians. The mayor is the commander-in-chief locally. Maybe a mayor, any mayor, but especially this one, should go on, go out with the cops with a bulletproof vest and maybe even more armor uh, to protect her, and just see what it's like for about five, ten minutes. See what it feels like going around some of these areas where maybe nobody's shooting at you, but maybe somebody might shoot at you and get a feel of what it's like. And I thank you uh, for the nice job you do. Thanks, Nick. Uh, Tom in his car. Hey, good morning. How are you? Good. Okay, you know what? I uh, uh, all these ads that are uh, on television about painting uh, Bailey um, as an extremist. We need to flip the tables because who's the extremist here? You got uh, a Pritzker who um, uh, supports uh, uh, full-term abortion, and Bailey came out and said in his debate that no matter what he thinks, he can't do anything unless he gets the blessing of Springfield which, which uh, a Pritzker um, has gotten. And I also want to put a challenge out to your listeners to call Bailey's office and to, uh, and to get a sign to put on their lawn. I did, and they took it out to my house, and it's sitting on my lawn right now. Thank Thanks. you for, for the time. Thanks, Tom. Frank, Arlington Heights. Yeah, plus five in the Senate, Dan. Arizona, Nevada, Georgia, New Hampshire, Washington. All those incumbent Dems are going down. But... Um, mm-hmm. On this whole stuff here with uh, Pritzker, you know, it's interesting how a man who physiologically cannot deal with more stress is putting all of this stress psychologically on the people of Illinois with his stupid signing of the Safety Act and his stacking of the parole board and letting these criminals out. 
it's just it's just unconscionable. It really is. But um, I just want to mention too one other video. Citizen Free Press had one last night uh, about Halloween 1984. How it was a simpler time. The police then, this is in New York somewhere. They're in, they were investigating. They were talking about how kids on Halloween were putting shaving cream on kid people's cars and egging houses and things like that. And it's kind of like a human interest piece. The news was the local news was kind of laughing about it. They were interviewing the kids. I mean, that's what times were like in the 80s. That's what this country needs. Thanks for the call, Frank. Appreciate it. Tom, Deer Park. Yeah, Dan, it's more than reasonable for that lady to come on your show and talk about whether 40 or 50 years is enough for the murder of her uncle. But coming on your show on the heels of two days of conspiracies. See you, Tom. Tim and, uh, you know, sorry, Tim, we ran out of time. This is Chicago's Morning Answer. Your show keeps me alive during the week. There's nobody I'd rather listen to between 5 and 9 in the morning than you guys. On AM 560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM 560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy uh, bringing you closing arguments from candidates in the key races right up until Tuesday, Election Day. Before we get to Republican nominee for Congress in the 6th, Keith Peacow, Mayor of Orland Park, I, I did want to get uh, our friend Tim and DeCalvin. Uh, he had a question point he wanted to make. Tim, thanks for holding. Appreciate it. We're dealing with a religious fanaticism in this progressive slash woke ideological movement. And, and we need to counter it by going door-to-door and speaking with our neighbors. We can't just call in radio shows and say, I'm outraged at what's going on. We have to get out there and do something. I mean, I'm a, I'm a Second Amendment rights activist. I mean, I couldn't just sit around and have people label me as a child killer because I own a firearm. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's got to be that way across the board. The Safety Act has got to be called the Safe Demonic Act. It, it, is, it is just empowering evil. And until we all wake up and say, we've got to knock on our neighbor's doors and say, do you know what the heck is going on? And they're like, no, I don't know. Because we don't know. Most of us don't know this is going on until it's, until it's sitting in your living room and it's, it's 11 years old telling you how you're going to live your 11-year-old's life. We have got to get it. We have to get awake against the woke. And this is what I, I do appreciate some of the things you do. I mean, I do. I have received mailings that I just absolutely cheer, but it has to be me talking to my neighbors, talking to people that will listen to my conversations, saying, look what is going on. And they don't believe it half the time until you say, oh, yeah, this is going on right now in the school down the street. Go down there and see it and, and see the, the rainbow flags in every classroom. When you stake a flag on something, that's a victory, right? Look at history. Yeah. When you put your, put your flag in the ground, that is now your ground. You have won that. Game of Thrones. I mean, it's it's very similar. Like when Jon yes. Snow turns around and sees the, the you know the Death Walkers turning the turning all the people who were his allies into them. Uh-huh. I know that's a weird analogy or metaphor, but I mean it's happening in real life. Thanks and for the call. What we have to wake up. Thanks for the call, Tim. Yeah, um, it is positively medieval in that sense. Stick a flag in the ground. That's your territory. That's a a good way of looking at it. Um, 
And uh, you're right. Uh, what are Republicans doing to turn out the vote? What are you doing to turn out the vote? Some, yeah, what are you doing? Take ownership. Uh, 318,000, I'll say it again, 318,000 Illinoisans voted for Trump in 16, voted for Trump in 2020, did not vote in the 2018 midterms. You have to decide if you want the revolt that you were a part of at the federal level to be visited upon Illinois, but you need to participate. And if you do, then candidates like our next guest are going to win. Keith Peacow is the mayor of Orland Park. He's the Republican nominee for Congress in the 6th, running against one of the most noxious individuals on the planet that I've ever come across, Sean Caston. Keith, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Dan and Amy. So I understand uh, you and Mr. Caston had a spirited exchange of views before the Tribune editorial board yesterday. Oh, well, it was really a phone call that I got from the from the Tribune, and oh. they interviewed me, I don't know, about three weeks ago or so, but they, they, put, it on, they put it in the paper. Oh, uh, is that what that was? I see. Yeah. Uh, yep. So, so and, and so uh, it was the typical, from what I read, uh, it was the typical, you're a hate monger, and you since you uh, believe in, like so our friend Tim and DeKalb, since you believe in an individual's rights to own a right to protect themselves, to own a weapon to protect themselves, then uh, you must have a small penis, because that's the quality of the arguments you get from Sean Caston. Yeah, I mean, yesterday, you know, he called me a coward. And, you know, I was an instructor, weapon system officer in the F-15E. Uh, got three tours over in the Middle East, had dozens of combat sorties. And to be called a coward from the likes of him is laughable. But it's really nothing new from him. I mean, he's called me just in this in this race, extremist, a homophobe, transphobe. Uh, he, yesterday he implied that I was a domestic terrorist. This is how he, this is what he does. He resorts to name calling because he's incapable of having a a coherent, thoughtful, and honest debate on the facts. And he does this in Congress all the time. It demonstrates that he doesn't have the temperament, the maturity, or the character to be a congressman. And has he accomplished anything as as the congressman there in your district? Uh, has he accomplished anything? Well, yeah. other than voting for raising taxes continually, continuously and spending money and putting $9 trillion more debt on, on the American public? No. Uh, so uh, let's take a step back and let's talk a little bit about you um, as well. For those unfamiliar, I don't know who would be unfamiliar at this point, particularly listening to this show. But So you rose to prominence when you defeated sort of the Democrat kleptocracy in Orland Park twice uh, two-term mayor of Orland Park, and you've been outspoken in a thoughtful way. I think it's you may people may disagree with your conclusions, but I mean, it's PowerPoint presentations at city council meetings, village board meetings that have that really shot you to additional prominence during covid just going through the data and the science and talking about what makes sense and what doesn't. You were one of the uh, communities, one of the few communities that resisted the governor's diktats and said, we're working with our business community and in consultation with our public health people who live and work in Orland Park, and we're making decisions that make sense for us based on what we understand to be true. And um, the people rewarded you by reelecting you for that. Yeah, and at the end of the day, when, when you're sitting as a mayor or a congressman or anything else, our job is to get the information to the American public so they can make the best decisions for themselves. We do not need the Lord over the American people. The American people are more than capable of making their own decisions. And 
it's our job to, to give them the information that they don't have. And that's what I felt was important then. I certainly wasn't going to take away a business's right to be open or a family's livelihood. I was going to let them make their decisions. And that worked very well. We obviously, even in hindsight, you look back and we had a lower case rate than the state, state or the county. And, uh, and our businesses thrived. We still opened 600 businesses during my first, my tenure, including the COVID years. And we're thriving now because of those decisions. And remind us how Governor Pritzker pushed back and like you were the evil one. You were the, you know, anti-data and science. So I was anti-data and science, according to him. And then also, if you look at now, I'm, you know, we're all lying about the Safety Act. So that's the latest thing that we're, you know, we're pushing back on. So that's his response to everything is everybody's a liar. It's never to our, it's never to discuss things and debate things with facts and information to back your point. It's just name-calling, calling people liars, and it's Sean Cass and J.B. Pritzker, they're, they're cut of the same cloth. Well, and, and since you are a mayor and talking about uh, Pritzker's purge law, I mean, you're obviously talking to your police chief, you're talking to local law enforcement, uh, you're talking to other mayors about the impact this would have if uh, you codify, essentially, what's already happening to a substantial degree in Cook County. Uh, into in, into law and it takes effect Jan one, which it's scheduled to do. So, what have those conversations been like? How did you come to the conclusions about the so-called safety act that you have been extolling? So, talking to talking to attorneys, talking to our police, you know, talking to our village attorneys, talking to state's attorneys like Bob Berlin. This is the most dangerous law I've ever seen for for citizens. It prioritizes criminals over over citizens and over law enforcement. And it's, it scares the hell out of me, to be honest. And um, it, I, I will be uh, you know, up at night thinking about it, whether I'm in, you know, when I'm in Congress, my wife's back here alone, or if I'm still mayor, I'll be thinking about it every night because I'll be having to deal with it. So it's a, it's a, you know, everything in there is uh, that, that we've heard that is scary and could potentially lead to a lot of problems is, is real. And we need to be concerned. You know, my opponent, he said everyone who opposes a racist. Again, yeah, of course. Of course. Right. And you're and you're of homophobic course. And yeah, right. Because they can't debate things on fact. Well, yeah, they need and, an and, evil boogeyman because they can't run on their own record. So they need an enemy. And they try to make you, like, Trumpian somehow. Well, and, and Governor Pritzker, we're all liars. We're lying about it. But then he comes out and says, but it needs to be changed. Well, which one is it? Yeah. Are we liars or does it need to be changed? Uh-huh. And 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 do you sense, I mean, so you're on the campaign trust, so it's always interesting people that are actually out having to go into public events, going door to door, and you do that in a congressional race. So do, do you sense that on this issue, uh, this Safety Act, do you sense that people are are understanding the implications if this were to take effect? I think they are. I think a lot of people are starting to pay attention. It took a long time to get it to get it into, uh, you know, into the mainstream media where they're covering it. Frankly, they're still not really covering it here in the Chicagoland area. They started covering it nationally. They've, they've ignored it. It's been here. You know, it was passed almost two years ago. Right. So it's been here. been sitting here waiting, but the, but the press doesn't cover it, and they, they continue to give J.B. Pritzker a pass on it. And, uh, but at the door, people, they, they talk about crime. They talk about safety act. And they talk about the economy and inflation. That's what you hear over and over and over again. Uh, and w- with respect to um, Kasten, going back to what he said about you being a coward. So you're a, you, you served in the Air Force, as you were describing, in theater. Um, 
cast you're a coward and Caston is courageous as I understand it because he supports men dressing up as women to read stories to kids at libraries. Do I have that right? Uh, apparently that's his position. And, and of course he does it all via Twitter and talking to reporters. He doesn't do any of this name calling and attacks face to face. I don't know. I, is that courageous? And mm-hmm. has he, well, mm-hmm. have you tried to debate him? Has he refused? What's, what's the latest on that? You, you know, no one would really host a debate. So, really? Uh, and I'm assuming that's because he wouldn't do one. We reached out to a few different places. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, um, I think people are, it's very clear where, where Cassidy and I sit. I'd be happy to debate him any time. But so far, uh, there's been nothing. So, so, you know, so frame the, the last six days here. Where, in your view, does the race stand? What do you need to happen, to see happen in order to be victorious? Uh, what's the choice, that, you know, boil down the choice for, for voters listening between you and Kasten, as if it's not obvious? So um, the race is tight. Um, I think we're winning, but it's all about people turning out. People, so the, the, the question you have to ask yourself is you want someone who doesn't talk about any of the issues you care about. So he talks about drag queen, drag queen bingo who behaves in, in the manner that he does, and he doesn't, um, that can't work with anyone in Congress, and who doesn't reflect your values. I mean, he's the furthest left member of Congress. That's the, the, simple, the most simple way of putting it. More left than AOC, and that's a fact. Or do you want someone who has a proven track record on the economy, on inflation, on crime? We have the lowest crime we've had in 27 years, eight safest small city in the U.S. Um, in 2021. On inflation and crime, we've cut 14% out of our operating budget, 52 million of debt, our property tax rates 28%. I have a proven track record. So I think my experience as a as an Air Force instructor, weapon system officer, as a small businessman, and, and as a mayor, makes me the right choice to serve people in Washington D.C. He is Keith Peacow. He's a two-term mayor of Orland Park. He's the Republican nominee in the sixth sixth congressional district, running against Sean Caston, as we've been discussing. And he is on the ballot in the Burbs and a good part of the city, too. A yeah. good part of the city that I think they thought Keith Peacock was going to own. And I don't think he's going to own it um, like they thought. Keith Peacock, P-E-K-A-U, KeithPeacock.com is the website for more information, to support him, to get involved in the final days. Keith, thanks so much for joining us, and uh, good luck on Tuesday. Thanks a lot, Dan and Amy. Have a good day. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. This is Chicago's Morning Answer. Your show keeps me alive during the week. There's nobody I'd rather listen to between 5 and 9 in the morning than you guys. On AM 560, The Answer. See Larry Elder, Brandon Tatum, Alex Berenson, and many more at Freedom Summit Chicago. Tickets available at freedomsummitchicago.com. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. I am not a man without uh, empathy. For uh, young people facing difficulties in their lives. Uh, One such young person is a Starbucks barista who's both a student and he is also a barista. Yes. And he's he's uh, having trouble balancing his studies with his work responsibilities. It's hard. Here's his plea for help. People wonder why we need a union at Starbucks, and I 
am literally about to quit. Like, I, I don't know if I'm going to do it, but, like, I really want to. I almost walked out today, and I'm crying in the back room right now, and I almost cut on the floor. It's just... I, like, I get... I'm, I'm like, a full-time student. I get scheduled for 25 hours a week, and on a weekend, they schedule me the entire day, open to close. I'm on the schedule for eight and a half hours, both Saturday and Sunday. I'm, like, three and a half hours into my shift. There's so many customers, and we have four people on the floor all day. <laughs> Only five people were put on the schedule, and somebody had to call out. And there are four people running the whole store, and there's so many customers, and there's possibly scheduled five people. <laughs> We only have 13 people employed at this store, and there's so many customers. We don't have fair scheduling. Managers don't care about us. Our manager was supposed to come in this weekend, and he took himself off the schedule, so he wouldn't be able to be held accountable for calling out. He just literally tore down the schedule that he was scheduled on and put up a new schedule where he was on the schedule. Also, he couldn't have even seen that he was scheduled in the first place because he didn't want to be held accountable for not wanting to come in. They don't want to help us. We need a union because this can't happen. This can't happen. We need fair scheduling. We need managers to hold themselves accountable for helping their workers. They refuse to turn mobile orders off. We need the liberty to be able to do that because there's so many mobile orders and I need to get through all of them. And then people are yelling at me because they don't have their orders ready. But they don't know what to do. <laughs> and a customer was misgendering me tonight, like really badly. I didn't have their order ready. And so they were just like, like talking like tender and they're like she's clearly incompetent i have a full mustache and beard doesn't mean you can't be a girl <laughs> what the fuck but i don't get accommodations for being fuck. neurodivergent i don't like i can't like i people get mad at me for using my sick time i don't even know what to do anymore i'm like at my wits end with this job i really am <laughs> You know uh, what they could use at that Starbucks where that uh, young man works? Uh, person, is, just call him a person. Uh, young human works, exactly. Thank you. Uh, Tom, Simino- Tom, uh, Tom Sapkowski uh-huh. from Office Space, the guy who was good with the people, uh-huh. who's good with the customers, <laughs> to interface between him and all of those who want their mocha I mean, could you imagine if he had to go into the theater of war? And well, fight for our country, because well, that is some pretty scary stuff. Well, what would you say? That's not going to happen. You do here. Well, look, I already told you. I deal with the god customers so the engineers don't have to. I have people skills. I am good at dealing with people. Can't you understand it? What the hell is wrong with you people? So, you know, a lot of people feel that uh, barista's frustrations, uh, perhaps uh, our mentor... Steve Moore could offer some advice and counsel to that young human. Steve Moore, well, uh, economist and Govzilla author, joins us now. Steve, thanks for being with us. Appreciate it. Good morning, guys. I mean, I really can't speak right now because my heart is just breaking. breaking. And, yeah. and I have to – and, Amy, I've got to tell you something. When I think Dan Kraft, you know, the word that jumps to my mind is empathy. There's yeah, no question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no question. I made a career. <laughs> You're one of the most empathetic people I've ever met, Dan. I, I, um, I appreciate but, that. But... I'll dismiss your laughing while you're saying it. Yes. <laughs> well, you're, you you are just filled to the brim with empathy. Look, it's a, it's a, it shows this new kind of woke um, generation. You know, I'm like, did he say he had to work eight and a half hours in one day? Oh and also, uh, oh excuse God. me, excuse that, me, and that is a human rights violation. And go to school. 
So uh, um, he is, he, I believe he is the first uh, person in America to ever work and go to school. Yeah, well, and I think also that um, he is going to certainly qualify for um, forgiveness for his whatever student loan that he's taken oh, out. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> gosh, gosh, gosh forbid if we teach them any responsibility. I, I mean, I remember working 12-hour days, then working another 12-hour shift back-to-back and not complaining. Just happy to have a job. Yeah. Where is Howard Schultz when you need him? You know, <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's it's it really is something about this generation that um, they've they there's an entitlement, you know, there's an entitlement that everything they have should be handed to them. And, and then not everyone in that generation, but oh. there is this idea that um, it, too much. it's almost like too much has been handed to, to young people and uh, yeah. they're working eight hours a day. I mean, come on, that it's is a- inhumane. It's almost like it's almost like they learned that from their grandparents, the baby boomers. Oh, hi oh. Well, hi-o. you know, my, I have to say, funny you should say that because uh, you know my son, who is a uh, millennial, and and I, I've spent twenty five years, you know, trashing the millennials, and finally got so sick of it, he said, "Well, Dad, who do you think made us this way?" <laughs> well, oh. he's got a point. You know, we're the we're the ones who gave him trophies for just showing up, right? Oh, that's true. Just participation trophies. But we can't reverse it, can we? Or can we, Steve? Well, they'll grow up. Don't you think they'll grow up, Amy? I mean, you, you know more about kids than I do. But yeah. And the, the ones who and the ones who don't will get elected to well, office. Well, I know the ones that I'd want to go to war for this country, and I know the ones that I'd want to sit out. You know, you don't need a Band-Aid if you're not bleeding. It's these things like that. You like, <laughs> cause yeah, I, you know, yeah. so I, I just wrote my column this uh, week on, called Where Are the Men? Where are the oh. men? And, you know, when I listened to that uh, that little tape you played, I thought, yeah, geez, this really um, amplifies what I'm saying. And what's happened in the U.S. economy over the last – it's been a trend for 50 years. is fewer and fewer and fewer men of working age are in the labor force. And I think not only is that a huge economic problem, but it's a social problem. It, it, when men aren't working, it leads to more problems at home, higher rates of divorce, more alcoholism, more uh, more problems with uh, drug addiction. And so there is work is important not just because it create, it provides an income for people. Obviously, that's the most important thing. But it also work creates a sense of self worth. It it um, it it is very tied to happiness. People work are happier than people who don't work. It's also true that people uh, work live longer. They are healthier. So, you know, this trend of men dropping out of the workforce, I think, is a real problem. What say you guys? Yeah, I'd say so. Uh, the, the dropping out of the workforce and also dropping out of manhood. Uh, that's also a part yep. of a problem. Um, I, speaking of, um, you know, people from bygone generations that fit this disturbing profile. The president of the United States, Mr. 10 percent, the big guy, Joe Biden, um, he proposed yesterday to deal with increases, increasing prices at the pump by increasing the prices at the pump. Yeah. Yeah. This is called the um, windfall profit tax. Is that what you're referring to? That is what I'm referring to. Yeah. So this is, this is I really right now I am almost literally pulling my hair out. Because what you've seen from the Biden administration has been, remember that TV show, um, that that 70s show? Yeah. yeah. That, remember that sure. show, that, that 70s show? Sure. Yeah. Uh, that's what we're doing. I mean, every dingbat idea of the 1970s 
has been replicated uh, under Biden. So we have windfall profits taxes were tried in the 70s. And what happened as a result was that um, three things happened when we did this. Number one, the we became more reliant on foreign oil because that wasn't subject to the windfall profits tax. It could only affect American oil and gas companies. Number two, we... Um, we saw an increase in the price, not a decrease, because when you tax something, you get more or less of it. <laughs> you get less of it, so the price goes up. And the third thing that happened was American production of oil went down. So how in the world is this a rational policy? Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned um, student loan amnesty or the socialization of student loan debt, which is really Wait a minute. Dan, 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 Dan. I just called you. I just said that you have empathy. Now don't blow it. Don't no, blow I know. It. I'm, 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 I'm. You'll, you'll understand, and I'll live <laughs> up to that description of the most empathetic person you've ever come across when you hear my next question, which is, okay. why should we limit amnesty to student loans, so-called amnesty to student loans? What we yeah. need to do is extend amnesty to other areas of our life. For example, as Emily Oster writes in the Atlantic, we need pan, uh, pandemic amnesty. We need to stop with the scorecard of who was right and who was wrong because it's preventing us from moving forward. I mean, except for the people who disagree with her. You can continue to ostracize them. But for the other people that she deems reasonable but wrong, like the Covidians, we need to have a declaration of amnesty so we can put the ugliness of the last three years behind us and, you know, and and have a Coke and a smile together. Yeah, so I think what um, you're – in fact, I was just talking about this last night with some folks. And what, what is this – I forget whether it was uh, Pelosi or who proposed this, but they want to expand uh, the welfare programs um, to people who have any any problem in their life. You know, uh, if you have a problem going back to work because of COVID or whatever, whatever it might be, you can't pay your mortgage, you can't pay your rent, more and more money for people, more and more payment. And it's just – Everything. Look, you don't have to work, folks, because the government is going to take care of you. It's called the nanny state, the nanny state. And it's here. But the other thing on this pandemic amnesty call by Emily Oster that's getting so much uh, play, uh, she writes, we have to put these fights aside to clear a pandemic amnesty. We, had, we can leave out the willful purveyors of actual misinformation, as however she defines it, while forgiving the hard calls that people had no choice to make but with imperfect knowledge. So we also don't need to be in the business of accountability, particularly for those in positions of authority that made decisions that impacted 330 million people. We don't need to worry about who was right and who was wrong. We need to move beyond that. We don't need to learn any lessons. Just say it was a tough three years and nobody was right. Nobody was wrong. Let's move on. You know, I I mean, you're making a very important point, and I find it so fascinating because I've been following a lot. We have like 20 gubernatorial, more than 20 gubernatorial um, elections, including one in in, uh, Illinois, as as you all know. And what's happened almost throughout the country is Democratic governors uh, who shut down the economy, including people like Pritzker and uh, and, uh, uh, what's her name uh, in Michigan? uh, Whitmer. Whitmer, Whitmer. They're basically saying, and I think the Wisconsin governor, the same thing. Uh, lockdowns. We only locked down the schools for two or three weeks. What, what are they talking <laughs> I about? I was against lockdowns. Beautiful <laughs> lies. I find that to be fact. <laughs> Are people? Do they really think we're that stupid? 
No. We're going to find out. Well, yeah, I guess we will find out. And she's tied right now with Tudor. Oh, I know. I mean, I just think it's, it's that. And what that the good news of this is that the American people have turned. Uh, I think we're winning this fight. Americans now realize that lockdowns was one of the greatest mistakes ever. Shutting down the schools was a catastrophe. And the people this is why I feel so strongly about these elections. The people who did this to us, they need to be privatized. They need to be thrown out on the rest. They need to be spanked. I'm talking figuratively. I'm not using hate speech here, but they have to be removed from office. And I'm not, I, I know we're out of time. I'll say this. I'm not a rabble Republican. I'm not saying Republicans are going to be wonderful people. They like to play Santa Claus too. But when you've got a coach that goes 0-16, you fire the coach. And maybe that's the Bears coach too. He is Steve Moore. He is an economist and the author of Govzilla. Steve, thanks as always. Bye, guys. Have a great week. Take care. Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. You're listening to Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Retired Cook County Circuit Court Judge Daniel Locallo was on uh, Fox Chicago, our local Fox affiliate, talking about uh, Pritzker's Purge Law and addressing this uh, canard that is being promulgated by Pritzker and his acolytes. What are you worried about? The judge... And the prosecutor can still detain people accused of forcible felonies. Judicial discretion. It's wrong. It's wrong to say there's non-detainable offenses. They don't exist because the judge can move to detain. Really? Retired Cook County Circuit Court Judge Daniel Locallo. So last week, Judge, uh, Nina and I spoke with a former prosecutor in Cook County, and he told us that statewide more than 200 state's attorneys have resigned just over the Safety Act. I'm wondering, have you spoken to other judges, and if so, what are they telling you? Well, judges are concerned because uh, they believe their discretion has been taken away with respect to the decision regarding detention because, again, the law requires a petition be filed by the state's attorney. The court on its own cannot uh, make a decision. The petition has to be filed by the state, and then a hearing is held. So in the past, a judge could analyze the situation and make a decision as to whether he's going to set a high bond or anything like that. The judge cannot act on its own. Uh, Locallo continued, just to, for emphasis, take a listen. The final say is not necessarily in the judge's prerogative because, again, the petition must allege a crime is, is, was committed and the person can only receive jail. Under those circumstances, the person could be detained. If the person has, has not committed an offense for which they can receive imprisonment, then uh, that person cannot be detained. The judge can set conditions like home confinement and things like that, but the detention itself uh, is out of the hands of well, the Well, to judge. bring this home. And what he didn't get to, uh, two things. One is the threshold that needs to be cleared in that petition. The individual must present a, a, specific, a threat to a specific individual, not a general threat to public safety, 
a specific identifiable individual must uh, be facing a credible threat for a judge to consider detention. In addition to that, this non-detainable, no, no such thing as a non-detainable thing. If you understand how legislation is drafted and how it's generally interpreted, when legislation contains a list of things, then it necessarily is exhaustive. It's not categorizing. It's a list. These are the crimes for which a, the accused may be detained, which necessarily implies and it will be interpreted as excluding those crimes not listed. This is what Glasgow and Berlin and so many of the prosecutors, Weiss and Kendall County, have tried to explain. So, I mean, first of all, there's mass confusion among judges, and there'll probably be different decisions rendered depending on the judge and the court. But this is generally speaking how it is. If it's not on this list, then it's not if it's not listed as a detainable offense, then the default is it's a non-detainable offense, which is how you get to crimes like second degree murder, kidnapping, arson, aggravated assault that are not listed as detainable offenses. So it is lawyerly sleight of hand that Pritzker and the buffoons that are repeating his talking points are attempting to perpetrate on you. Understand? Hi. For more on this, we're pleased to be joined by Congressman Mary Miller from Southern Illinois. Mary, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Great. Thank you for having me. So uh, here we are, six days from the election. Uh, I know you take nothing for granted, but you're in a very conservative district. The primary was effectively the general election for you. But what we need from you and your fellow Southern Illinoisans is a big turnout if we're going to depose this Chicago power structure. Absolutely. I can't stress to people not to get out and vote, to take a neighbor or find someone from church. If you have elderly friends, help them get to the polls. This is a very important election. We need to stop the Democrats. Two years of crisis creation. They are dismantling our country. And here in the state, we cannot back down under pressure. We need Darren Bailey for governor. Uh, J.B. Pritzker's Safety Act has to be repealed. Darren Bailey will support law and order. Um, for uh, the past couple years, Pritzker has been releasing criminals from prison, defunding police, and ending cash bail. And if he can, he will take our Second Amendment rights away so we can't defend ourselves. You know, the I wonder how his purge law, Pritzker's purge law, is playing in southern Illinois and the communities you serve because a lot of those communities don't have the endemic violent crime problems that some of the bigger communities around the state, obviously Cook County and Chicago, but also the midsize communities around the state have. And so is this something that, regardless of small rural community or mid-sized suburban community, you're hearing people talk about they understand the implications of releasing people, even if it's just a couple people in a small community can make a big 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 difference and create a big problem do they understand the implications of violent uh, people accused of violent crimes being allowed to walk well <clears throat> they don't understand it to the in the way that people in the city that have experienced uh violent crime in their own families and communities understand it but yes they do understand it they're very alarmed i know that when i talk to sheriffs 
their concern because of the defunding of the police and even getting um, people that want to go into the police academies that there aren't uh, available spots for them because of the defunding of the police agenda. Um, Yes, we're very concerned about it. And the other thing with this is, I mean, we talk a lot about the, the prosecution side of the house, but on the police side, you have unfunded mandates that are being passed on to local communities. We've talked a bit about that in terms of the training and equipment requirements that are contained in this law. You have new rules of engagement for local police. It doesn't matter if you're in southern Illinois or northeastern Illinois. It applies the same, where police are going to be put in very difficult situations to, to make split-second decisions on use of force, on whether or not to pursue a suspect. So that has real-world implications for small, smaller, even rural communities, too. Absolutely. And this is not a partisan issue. Everybody, number one, does anything matter if you don't feel safe in your home and your community? And the second reason people down here are supporting Darren Bailey and are highly opposed to J.B. Pritzker has to do with education and the the agenda to hypersexualize our children, to push CRT in our schools and this transgender agenda. Uh, people that have been a little bit passive are, are, are definitely awake. And when it comes to our children, man, the nails come out. We are going to defend our children, and that's another reason to support Darren Bailey for governor. He would never um, uh, push or allow those, that kind of agenda in our public schools. Right, and we'll have more parental choices, which every parent wants, especially after two years of COVID. So your Democratic opponent is uh, says that you will not debate him and that you're, you rarely give interviews. How do you want to respond to that? <clears throat> well, that's absolutely not true. I've been campaigning aggressively, meeting with farmers, businesses, sheriffs, gun owners, family groups. Um, I have traveled the district north to south, east to west. I've made it very clear where I stand on the issues. Um, it's absolutely up to him to introduce himself to voters and tell them what he thinks. But I'm going to beat him. So, yeah, I've never uh, even with, heard of him. Yeah, um, <laughs> this number I've been banding about all morning. I'll bandy about again. Yes, three hundred eighteen thousand, three hundred eighteen thousand approximately round numbers, is the number of individuals who voted for in Illinois who voted for Trump in 2016, who voted for Trump in 2020, and who did not vote at all in the 2018 midterms. So it seems to me we've got a real big constituency for center-right common sense that needs to participate in a way they didn't in 2018 and 2022 if uh, Republicans up and down the ballot, up and down the state are going to be successful. And I wonder uh, what your temperature is on the enthusiasm where you are for people who maybe just focus on presidentials and don't focus so much on midterms and state issues, whether or not they're going to come out in the force that we need. I have never seen people more razzed up to get out and vote. And I do remind people evil does not retreat on its own, only when it's confronted by a more powerful force. And one thing I've seen the last two years out of the Democrats is if they could, they would. They're flouting our laws. They're flouting the Constitution. They've opened the border. They've shut down our energy independence. They forced boys and men into girls' athletics, and there are private spaces. We have a crime crisis. They're after our guns. Biden has passed 99 executive orders and overseen reckless spending. I mean, Americans have had it. 
Um, thinking about uh, a Republican takeover of the House, which is a mortal lock, a mortal lock that is, mm-hmm. uh, in the majority, what changes in the House? What What is uh, your focus going to be? What are the issues that are going to get an airing or that there's at least going to be an attempt to move that were throttled by the Pelosi Democrats being in charge? Yes. Well, um, we've got this. My freshman class was an excellent class, and we've got some great candidates coming up that I believe are going to uh, win. We're going to take back the House. I believe Jim Jordan is going to be the head of judiciary. That is the number one priority. We need to have hearings and get answers about Hunter Biden, uh, Ukraine and China. Uh, We need to get answers from Fauci and the CDC. We need to impeach the whole Biden's homeland, I call him the Homeland Insecurity Secretary, Mayorkas, the Democrats are expecting us to sit down and shut up. I'm not going to do that. And I'm joining with the Freedom Caucus and other fighters. We are pushing back. They want us to deny reality. Literally, I'm on the Border Security Caucus, and we had Mayorkas visit us once. He literally said that the border was secure. They're trying to tell us that inflation is 8%. Down here, If you're buying food, fuel, or fertilizer, I guarantee you nobody believes inflation is only 8%. And it's not going to stop. I mean, I I don't see the end of the road anytime soon. Do you? No. Unless we get these people out of office? Well, we need to. They're not even going to admit that there's problems. Like shutting down our energy, this impending diesel crisis is scaring me. We have 25 days left of diesel. I don't know if it's because I'm a farmer that I'm so concerned, but our our, our, uh, rail system and our our whole supply chain is depending on it. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I got this email since you brought it up. I I hadn't gotten to it to this point, but I'll share it now. Yeah, please. Uh, Email, my sister and cousin both own towing companies and auto repair shops in Waukegan and Zion, so up in Lake County. They rely uh-huh. on they rely on diesel fuels. They, excuse me. They rely on diesel fuel for deliveries each week to fuel their trucks and equipment. Both were given a two week notice today. This is just the other day before their diesel deliveries will be cut off. Mm-hmm. One of my sister's loyal customers is the president of a large construction firm located in Lake County. He was in her shop today and said he was given his three week notice today before his company is cut off. So the small companies have about two weeks, and the larger companies have about three before no more diesel will be delivered. Um, that's Disaster pretty... Disaster for our country. Yeah, and I'd say. I don't expect Joe Biden to admit it, but on day one, he shut down our energy. He's a despotic ruler. We need to remove these people. It, the Shutting down our energy is going to bring us to our knees. It's caused the whole world to be unstable. Bottom line, we funded Putin's invasion of Ukraine by by allowing him to be enriched when we shut down our gas and oil production. This is insanity, and even if we do get him to admit it, which he isn't going to, it's going to take a while to get it going again. And we need to have refiners for diesel. She is Mary Miller. She's a Republican congressman from Southern Illinois. Mary, thanks as always. Appreciate it. Well, you're welcome. Thank you so much. Have a great day. And she joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. If you're talking about it. Dan and Amy are talking about it. It's Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. America First with Sebastian Gorka. Today at 3, right before Sean Thompson at 4 on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. I've got one. You do? 
Yeah, I got one. What? The one on I got what? A, I, I got a mom who's uh, in Cook County Jail. Maybe she's a mom. For stealing diapers. Just you... like Governor Pritzker says. Oh, really? What's her name? Angelique Payne is her name. She's a 22-year-old uh, Franklin Park native. And she shoplifted, shoplifted two boxes of diapers from a Buffalo Grove Jewel in January of this year. And uh, she's in jail. Oh, um, wait. Um, she also, along with the diapers, stole 18 bottles of Jameson Irish whiskey. Oh, well, that's... Worth about 900 bucks. Ah, uh, that's probably why she's in jail, yes. Oh, oh, oh. Where'd she oh, shove all that? 18 bottles? That's a load. Oh, 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 wait. Oh, there's um, more? Yeah, wait, yeah, w- wait. She's um, also been arrested t- uh, 22 times since 2019 for retail theft. She is one of 34 accused retail thieves in Cook County Jail, 34 out of some 6,000, five, maybe five or 6,000, depending on the daily population, which is down, by the way, because they farm so many people out to electronic monitoring. That's been mm-hmm. great. And because of COVID, they just let people walk out. Then there's so other retail thieves. They talk about, oh, it's just retail, th- it's just retail theft. It's less than $1,000. Right. 22 times. A 44-year-old who's been arrested 41 times since 2014. A 47-year-old with 38 arrests. A 70-year-old with 23 arrests. A 39-year-old who has been arrested 24 times since 2019. So that's like once every other month. The 34-year-old has been arrested 30 times um, after serving five years on drug charges. Oh, and Angelique Payne, the mom who's mom, maybe, we don't know, who steals diapers and Irish whiskey and probably a lot of other things over the 22 times she's been picked up. She also got a PPP loan. Oh, of course she did. For what alleged company does she own? She got a $20,000 payroll protection loan for this alleged two-person business she runs that does miscellaneous crop farming. She's a farmer. (laughs) I got to see a picture of this woman. Yeah, farmer. A farmer, okay. Farmer, you know, it's one of these sad sack stories. A mom who just steals diapers for her kid. We don't know if she has a kid. We know she likes Irish whiskey or she likes to arbitrage it. I don't know. And 22 times. And perhaps, maybe, I don't know, perhaps, maybe committed PPP fraud. I'd love to see more evidence. I'd like to see any evidence of her crop farming business up here in, uh, you know, uh, West Central Cook County. Okay, and that's and and by the way, even those habitual offenders, that's what did I say? Forty-four out of uh, excuse me, thirty-four, thirty-four out of five, six thousand inmates at Cook County Jail. Nothing. Do you understand how cynical and craven is the scam that Pritzker and the Democrats are running? On this personal safety issue. Remarkable. Remarkable if they're not held to account. For more on this, we're pleased to be joined by Kathy Salvi. She's the Republican nominee for U.S. Senate, squaring off against Tammy Duckworth. She joins us to make her closing argument. Kathy, thanks for being with us. Appreciate it. Great to be on your show. KathySalvi.com for anybody who wants to learn about me, and I'm going to ask everybody for their vote. We are surging in the polls. We're going to win this on Tuesday. And uh, I'll tell you, there is not a uh, vax mandate, a a tax, 
a, a mask mandate that Tammy Duckworth hasn't voted for. And as to the uh, point that you just made, she voted each and every time she could to defund the police. She voted each and every time she could to keep our border unsecure. And that is one reason why I received the unanimous endorsement of the Illinois Fraternal Order of Police, the Italian Police Association, the Polish Police Association, and recently the Sergeant's uh, uh, Police Association of the, the uh, Chicago Police Department. And one reason is she endorsed Lori Lightfoot, for goodness sake. So well, I, you're right. I was just going to ask the, you about that because that is stop, that's, yeah, stop that's, the insanity. Yeah, that says a lot about her character or lack of character if she's endorsing her. Well, Lori Lightfoot uh, gutted the Chicago Police Department budget by $52 million. That says it all. And look what we have in Cook County. Just in Halloween, I think there were 43 uh, uh, shootings on that night. And, uh, you know, the, the criminals, those who commit the crimes are being let out, not even charged in many incidences, before their victims even get out of the, the hospital, if they if they if they haven't already died. Well, the other thing, the the other thing, yeah, the other thing that's happening too, uh, we were mentioning a bit uh, at the top of the hour. So what's happened to Chicago police um, and to a lesser extent, other police departments, uh, they can't find recruits. They're down 2000 officers, Chicago. Uh, That's now happening to prosecutors because of this Pritzker purge law. And, you know, Tammy Duckworth isn't uh, associated enough with the Chicago Dem power structure, but she should be because as you were explaining she's part and parcel of all these policies so now you have prosecutors fleeing county prosecutor county da's office county state's attorney's offices for the same reason they can't do what they became a prosecutor to do just like police can't do what they became a police officer to do you know tammy duckworth she's pointing the finger at everything but her record for the last six years 10 years total in congress is failed it's failed illinois and the top three issues to vote for salvi is if, if you're concerned about the economy, crime in our streets, and the education of our children. And on any of those points, I ask each listener here to uh, take, your, uh, take your phone, take your text, take your email, and let everyone you know, Salvi, give me a chance to lead to serve. And I promise I'll be the hardest working U.S. Senator we send uh, from Illinois to Washington. And let's stir things up out there. I think they could use a little bit of good, old-fashioned Illinois common sense that I'm there to bring it to him. And uh, if you were to be victorious on Tuesday and Republicans were to take the majority in the Senate, which is looking like increasingly like that's going to happen, but we'll see. Then what would you focus on? Where, where do you want to get to work right away? Energy drives the economy. We need to become energy independent again. And Joe Biden sits at the desk in the Oval Office and he'll sign with his golden pen uh, shutdown of the Keystone uh, pipeline, uh, limiting drilling for oil on federal lands, opening up the North States 2 pipeline in Europe, which allowed Europe to get Russian oil, which filled their coffers. And and, and I, could li- I could give you a list, but we need to become energy independent again. And that that's what drives our economy. In addition to that, we need a check and balance on the unbridled printing of money and spending of money by this administration. The $1.9 trillion spending bill in March of 2021 is what got us this inflation that we're now uh, suffering today. And we are in a recession. 
Uh, there's no way to play it any way other way. Uh, we're all suffering at the gas tank, at the grocery store, and all people of goodwill, not only in, in Illinois, but in America, are suffering. And two out of every three Illinois families are living paycheck to paycheck. The answer was not Tammy Duckworth's vote in August to raise uh, new taxes, 75% new taxes from those earning 200000 or less, backed up by 87000 yet to be hired IRS agents. This is a tragedy. Uh, they're going after the middle class. They're going after the working man and woman. And this has got to stop. And Tammy Duckworth is part of the problem. And that's I'm making my case to every single voter on train platforms, uh, door to door and at the early poll of uh, polling places. And and I'm really encouraged by what I'm seeing and hearing. So uh, everybody listening, just get out there and vote. Remember, the, the final day to vote is the 8th. So uh, everybody in Adam that you know, get out and vote Salvi for U.S. Senate. And we'll make some change happen here in Illinois. And as this campaign has gone on, you're, you've gotten close. You're closing the gap in on Tammy Duckworth. Yes, I am. And that's one reason why two weeks ago she went heavy negative. And I, I thank her for that because she drove up the name ID uh, that I, I, I needed. Uh, and now people are asking me, do you really do you really believe what she's saying? I said, oh, I, that's, that's election smear stuff. So I'll tell you, she knows that I'm the voice of reason. I'm the adult in the room, and we need an adult in the room in Washington, D.C., in the U.S. Senate, and that's what I'm about to be. I'm a wife. I'm a mom. I'm a grandma. I'm a business owner over three decades. I'm a former assistant public defender. Uh, in Waukegan, Illinois, I practice law now uh, with my husband, and uh, I'm a fifth-generation Illinois. I love our state, and I'm going to go to bat for us all. Uh, but you mentioned uh, the crime earlier. Look at the irony here. Former assistant public defender, me, I'm against the Safety Act, and when elected, I will work every bit of uh, influence I have to get it repealed. And here it is. My own state's attorney in Lake County is in favor of the Safety Act. Tammy Duckworth would like the Safety Act to become federal law. She's okay with cashless bail. It's just insanity. And this is not Illinois. This is not the representation we deserve. There's been a lot of uh, ink spilled uh, assessing suburban women. You are a suburban woman. So talk about talk a little bit about that, because uh, what we see right now, Wall Street Journal poll, is white suburban women are swinging to the Republican side. The Republicans enjoy a slight advantage among white suburban women, but that's not monolithic. There's still a big problem. And the big problem is, wait, wait, hold on. The big problem is something you also are, which is a college-educated woman. And among college-educated women, Democrats have a 38-point advantage. I mean, do do you have any specific message to college-educated women that, don't seem to be making very educated choices at the polling places. I absolutely do. You know, vote Salvi, and I'll tell you why. My whole life, and I'm going to mention abortion because that's the issue that I'm hit on, I have worked on behalf of women and children, women who come to me because of the scars they've received from their so-called safe and legal abortion. I remember the case I had in 80. I represented the family of a woman, who bled to death in the front seat of the car with mom behind the wheel from a so-called safe and legal abortion. And ever since then, I've had scores of women who come to me to seek help as, I don't know whether they're Republican, Democrat, or what, but they've been scarred in deep and permanent ways by their so-called safe and legal abortion. So I'm pro-woman, I'm pro-life, and I'm pro-child. And I think Tammy Duckworth is absolutely out on a limb 
80% of Americans and Illinoisans disagree with her policy, which is nine-month elective abortion, taxpayer-funded. And this is just not Illinois. And she wants to pretend that's good for women's health, but that is not reproductive health care for women. That is just bad policy. And that's what she wants to make the law of the land. And that is simply put the law in Illinois, uh, abortion up to 24 months, allowing beyond that for any reason a mother would want, so long as you have a willing doctor or a willing health provider and, and a willing woman. And that's just not Illinois. So I've been talking about her record on that, and I'm truly the one who's in the mainstream. I have always accepted reasonable restrictions and the regulation of big business abortion. So I'm happy to talk about it. And in fact, when I go door to door and when I'm on the uh, uh, at the early polling places, I have discussions with women and I explain what the law is. And I'm turning votes around one vote at a time. So I'm happy to take on this and other issues that are so critical and so important. But People are going to be voting on the economy, the bread and butter issue, and also on the crime. And there's nobody who could say, is your life better in the last two years than it was? Uh, no. Our, our, our standard of living is dipped, and it's because of the poor leadership of Tammy Duckworth, who's nothing more than a rubber stamp for the failed Joe Biden agenda, which has been forced upon us. So if, if you can't vote Joe Biden out of office, then vote is a rubber stamp Tammy Duckworth out and vote for Kathy Salvi, U.S. Senate. She is Kathy Salvi, kathysalvi.com, for more information on her candidacy and campaign. Kathy Salvi, Republican nominee for Senate against Tammy Duckworth. Thanks for joining us as always, Kathy. Thank you so much, Dan and Amy. And here's to winning on Tuesday. Yep, good luck. Some Thank you. And she joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. This is the morning show. More Chicago radio listeners are choosing. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773 467 5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.